Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Amy, and I'm one of the pastors here. And today is Transfiguration Sunday, this season of epiphany that we've been in, this season of light and revelation. It ends today with one last epiphany, one last moment of God's light and glory breaking into the world. And the focus of this day comes from that story we just heard in Mark's gospel, the story of the transfiguration, when Jesus brilliantly and blazingly becomes bright before his disciples' eyes on the mountains, when this bright cloud envelops them and they hear the voice of God speaking. But we actually get that story two ways today. So we get it once directly in Mark's gospel, and then we also get it kind of slant, kind of from the sideways, from Peter. We hear Peter reflecting on his memory of that day in the letter called Second Peter, written at the very end of his life. And our letter from Second Peter shows us how even here, decades later, here when everything in Peter's world has completely changed, Peter has never forgotten this moment on the mountain, this moment when he saw the shining face of God in Jesus Christ, when he heard God's voice beckoning him to listen to God's beloved son. This moment on the mountain shaped Peter, it formed him, it animated his whole theology. We hear that in his letters. It's like this lens that now he looks through to interpret everything that happened before and everything that happened after. And at the very beginning of the book of Second Peter, a few verses earlier than where today's reading started, Peter says this, God's divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory. Thus he has given us through these things, that is through his glory, his precious and very great promises, so that through them you might escape the corruption in the world and may become participants of the divine nature. Becoming participants of the divine nature. It sounds a little complicated and a little obscure, but the gist of it is this, that God has given us everything we need to live our little human lives inside his great divine life. His life has been broken open for us to participate in, to actually experience, to see and hear and taste and touch and breathe the life of God, to participate in God's glory, his excellence, his brilliance, his radiant beauty. And C.S. Lewis writes, we don't merely want to see beauty, though God knows even that is bounty enough. But we want something else which can hardly be put into words, to be united with the beauty we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become part of it. And I think what Lewis is describing here is the same impulse that we see sometimes on our incarnation group chat. So for those who aren't aware, we have a church WhatsApp group chat 
Anyone is welcome to join and manage your notifications accordingly. Uh, but one of my favorite moments on the chat is when someone shares a sunset alert or a sunrise alert, just a photo of a beautiful sunset. And all of a sudden, the chat comes alive, and other people maybe go to their window or go outside and take a picture of the sunrise from wherever they are. And then you get this burst of emojis and reactions to all of these sunrises. And it's this seeing of something beautiful and majestic and glorious that pulls at something in us. We long to do more than just see the sunrise. We want to share it. We want to somehow get inside of it and bring other people there with us. And this group text sunrise alert situation is just like our small, very limited human way of doing the thing that C.S. Lewis talks about of trying to be united with the beauty that we see. And so when Peter says that through God's glory we've become participants of the divine nature, this is what he's talking about. We are being united with the beauty we see. We are passing into it. We are receiving it into ourselves. And at the end of his life, as Peter is writing this letter, he is so sure of this. He is so sure that we really can participate in the very nature of God. And what makes him so sure is what he saw on the mountain. He's been holding and returning to that memory and reflecting on it for a long time. And in the passage we just heard Nicole read, he writes this. We had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed, and you will be, do well to be attentive to this, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter's saying, you can trust what I tell you because I saw God. I was an eyewitness to Jesus' majesty. I was an ear witness to the loving voice of God. I actually saw the day dawn before my eyes. I actually experienced the morning star rising in my own heart. For this moment on the mountain, I participated in the divine nature, and so can you. And we can. This participation in the divine nature is open to us now. It's not just open to the eyewitnesses who were with Peter on the mountain, to James and John, but to all of us. And how? Because of what happened next. Because after his transfiguration, Jesus walked back down the mountain. And the glory of God and the beauty of God and the splendor of God's presence, the voice of God's loving command, it's not this thing that stands at arm's length from us. Everything in the universe was made from this glory, and everything in the universe is being healed and reconciled and restored to its true home in that glory, including us. God's glorious presence is always moving out. And in the person of Jesus, that glorious presence is always moving down. 
The writer Henry Nouwen, in this Lent devotional that I pretty much read every year because I'm not creative about these things, he talks about the descending way of Jesus. Jesus descends, that is what he does. Jesus goes down, down to earth, down to humanity, down the mountain. He goes down into the slog of everyday life and down into the places where evil and sin and pain conceal God's glory most of the time. And he goes down even to the depths of death and hell. And Jesus actually warned his disciples about this trajectory just before the transfiguration, a few verses earlier than what we read today. He had just told Peter and the others that if they were going to follow him, they were going to need to go down. They'd have to deny themselves and carry their crosses and lose their lives. But then he takes them up this mountain to behold God's glory as much as their finite bodies can take in and make sense of it, but not to stay there, not to just bask in it eternally. Peter offers to build some tents, but there's no need because this isn't where they're staying. They're not just hanging out on the mountaintop because God's glory isn't going to be fully revealed up on the mountain apart from human sin and suffering. God's glory is going to be fully revealed down there, down in the thick of it. God has chosen not to redeem the world apart from the world, but through it and in it, in his very own human body, in the person of Jesus, through the abandonment and shame and God-forsakenness of his death on the cross. That is where Jesus is going after he's transfigured. He's heading down the mountain, and his disciples come with him. And as they do, Mark says that they are questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And we heard in 2 Peter how that question was finally answered for him. Long after Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, after he had died and arose again, Peter has figured out what this rising from the dead might mean. It means that Jesus has made us participants in the divine nature. That Jesus got, brought God's own glory down the mountain into the realm of human evil and sin and death on the cross. And then Jesus rose from the dead and he healed and overturned everything that is concealing God's glory from human flesh. In his resurrection, he is bringing our redeemed humanity up the mountain into the realm of God's glory where we were always made to live. He is making us participants in the divine nature, even now. And this story always comes to us on the Sunday before Lent, which is a bit of a whiplash situation. We go from bright to dark and up to down. But this season of Lent is a little bit like Peter on the downslope of this mountain, trying to make sense of what the rising from the dead might mean, preparing us to come to Easter with fresh amazement. And we see how the transfiguration prepared Peter to make sense of it all, this experience of God's presence that left Peter in this state of wonder, of awe, of worship. He still had questions. He didn't really understand what he'd seen. But in this wondering state, this moment of glory prepared him for what would come next. And so for us, on the cusp of Lent, as we prepare to follow Jesus in his descending way, 
as we try to make sense of what his rising from the dead means all over again, I want to invite us to search our memories like we see Peter doing at the end of his life. Have you ever caught a glimpse of God's glory? You probably haven't seen Jesus and Moses and Elijah in a blinding light on a mountaintop. But have you had some experience, some epiphany of God's glory, God's presence, God's love, his holiness, breaking into your world and your experience in an unmistakable way, maybe even a palpable way, maybe or probably just for a moment? might have happened in a moment of prayer or in a dream or in the middle of some really ordinary task in a really ordinary day that is often where God shows up. Maybe in a sunrise on a group chat, maybe a church, I would love that. <laughs> but where suddenly for a moment the world is transfigured, you see things as they really are and God is there. Our life with God can be punctuated by these moments of divine seeing divine hearing, divine presence, because we are participants in the divine nature. Jesus has opened up this possibility for us by his death and resurrection. And so if you can remember something like this happening to you, I want to invite you to follow Peter's example and reflect on it. Remember it. Retell yourself the story. Maybe tell your small group the story. And maybe ask, how might that experience shape the way you come into Lent? And if you can't remember something like this ever happening to you, or if it's been a long time, and you feel a little sad about that, I'd also like to invite all of us to seek it, to ask God for an experience like that. We're not trying to chase spiritual highs or emotional experiences. We all know we cannot live life on the mountaintop. We all want to follow Jesus on the descending way. But these glimpses of God's glory, they nourish us for the journey. They give us what we need to endure. They help us make sense of what lies ahead. And so it's okay and good, if a little scary, to cry out to God, to ask for these experiences, because we were made to dwell in God's presence. We were made to behold his glory and it's good to desire that reality, that future where we will one day do it forever. It's good to desire it here and now too. It can be really easy for Lent to become about the stuff we do and don't do, fasting and disciplines and special church services, but those things are not the point. They're just tools to help us clear away the clutter and the noise. The point of it all, the point of Lent, the point of everything, is that we see the glory of God in the risen Christ. And that is my deepest longing for everyone in this church. And that's also the cry of the psalmist in today's psalm. So I want to close just by praying a few lines of that psalm for all of us, praying in hope that God would make it true. Let's pray. One thing I have asked of the Lord, one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the fair beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. 
You speak in my heart and say, seek my face. Your face, Lord, will I seek. Lord, make it so. Amen.